Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Dr. Terry Moore. Dr. Moore holds a Bachelor of Science from Mississippi College, as well as a Master's of Theology and PhD in New Testament from Dallas Theological Seminary. She serves as Assistant Professor of Greek and New Testament at Criswell College, and her book, The Mysteries, Resurrection, and 1 Corinthians 15, is available from Lexington Press. In her free time, Dr. Moore enjoys traveling and other adventures with her family, spoiling her dogs, and reminding her students to read their syllabus and check their Canvas page. Without further ado, Dr. Terry Moore. Um, Hello. I'm really glad to be here. I was excited to hear about our theme in chapel this semester, and I wonder if you've noticed that we have a theme in chapel this semester. Um, Maybe not. Um, We are walking through the I am statements in the Gospel of John, Um, and you've heard messages on Jesus as the bread of life and Jesus as the light of the world. And then we missed a message on Jesus as the door of the sheep because of that pesky ice storm. Um, and so today we are looking at the fourth I am statement in the Gospel of John, um, uh, where he says, I am the good shepherd. And uh, we will be in John 10, 11 through 18, if you want to go ahead and find that. Um, but uh, while you're finding it, Let's situate ourselves in John's Gospel, because we know, right, because we're good Criswell students, that context is important. We don't just jump into a passage without looking at where we are. So, um, John chapter 10 falls into the first major section in John's Gospel, right? We have two major sections. And John 1, chapter 1 through 12, is what we call the Book of Signs. Uh, because it includes seven miracles of Jesus, and John likes to call Jesus' miracles signs, right? He's unique in that. And um, in that section, there are several I am statements, and those I am statements are usually commentary on Jesus' miracles. And so when he talks about, I am the bread of life, that was commentary on the feeding of the 5,000, And when he said, I am the light of the world, that was commentary on the man born blind. Okay? So, um, in chapter 7, remember we're in chapter 10, but we need to go backwards. In chapter 7, Jesus goes to Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And then in chapter 9, you have the story of the man born blind. And that really provides important context for the I am the Good Shepherd statement. you think that the man born blind story is done at the end of chapter 9. 
but Jesus is talking to a few Pharisees and maybe some other people. And then chapter 10 starts, but there's not a transition statement at the beginning of chapter 10. There's nothing that indicates we're in a new audience or a new location at the beginning of chapter 10. And then later in chapter 10, so at 1021, the audience refers back to the miracle of the man born blind. So when we're in 10, 1 through 18, I keep, this feels really loud, like I'm um, yelling at you. Um, so when we're in 10, 1 through 18, uh, we're talking to the same group, and we're kind of in the same context of that miracle. And so then if we look a little broader, and we look at chapters 7 through 10, um, so now we're moving bigger, um, we have lots of shared themes. And there's going to be conflict throughout the Gospel of John, right, between religious leaders, Pharisees, and Jesus. But this is kind of intensifying in these chapters. And what's the conflict over? Well, on the one hand, as usual, it's about Jesus's identity, his works, and his authority. On the other hand, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are rejecting that, right? But the added dimension here is what does that rejection say about their identity? What does that rejection say about their character? And so Jesus keeps going back to the fact that, and emphasizing the fact that he is connected to the Father, that he has an intimate and unique relationship with the Father. And so the theme, all of these themes coalesce and come together with the story of the man born blind. And in that story, you have Jesus performing a good work, a life-giving work that provides care for the man. And you have the Pharisees uh, harassing the man, threatening the man, insulting him, insulting his family. And so when Jesus, right after that, uh, describes himself as the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, who knows for his sheep, that's an extremely stark contrast to the Pharisees, right? So you see how that's kind of setting up uh, the passage that we're going to look at? With, to have that episode right before that. Now, ready to read the passage? Okay. So we're going to start at verse 11, and we're going to do what I call a slow reading. We're going to read through it. We're going to notice some details. Um, you've had me in class. You've had other professors in class that tell you things that you want to look for. You want to look for repeated phrases. Um, if something's repeated twice, Right? In my class, we call that a green flag. Not a red flag, a green flag. You're like, hey, I think there's meaning there. But if something's repeated more than twice, whoa, that's like a green flag, like waving around. Okay? So let's do that. Uh, we'll start in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming, and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. 
because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep, he runs away. I am the good shepherd. Pause. Repetition. You saw I am the good shepherd in John 11. Now you're seeing it again in John 14. Uh, That's indicating to you this is probably a second section, right? Um, So there's probably two sections of this passage, and so this is going to maybe focus on a different uh, emphasis on what it means to be I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And then here's a theme that we just talked about was coming up repeatedly in these chapters. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Mm, Repetition. We saw that in verse 11 also. I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Here we are in John, and that sounds a lot like Paul. There will be one, one flock and one shepherd. Uh, I can never get through a passage without stopping, can I? Okay. Uh, verse 17, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, there it is again, so that I may take it back again. Hmm, what does that mean? Sounds like resurrection. Uh, no one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back again. This commandment I received from my Father. So we've got the passage. We need to dig into some details. But we've got to pause again, right? Um, Because this shepherd language that he keeps using is not general shepherd language. We have a Jewish man in Jerusalem speaking to a Jewish audience. And that imagery is very well known to them. So we might be reading it and just thinking, oh, shepherds do this and shepherds do that. But if you read your Old Testament carefully, the Old Testament repeatedly refers to God as the primary shepherd of his people Israel. You know a pretty famous passage that does that. There's multiple ones, but you may recognize Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You may have memorized it in another version. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay. So the Old Testament is using shepherding language for God to describe him as a very steadfast uh, leader of his people who provides care and provision. Uh, His people can rest uh, because they know that they are safe with God as their loving protector, even in the midst of trouble and suffering. Uh, Yahweh is their protector. He is their shepherd, right? But the Old Testament expands the shepherding imagery, and Israel's leaders are their shepherds the kings and the other leaders of the nations. And they should, emphasis should, lead, guide, care for the people in the same way that God does. But um, you've taken enough Old Testament survey 
and enough New Testament survey to know that over the generations of Old Testament history, intertestamental history, that those leaders failed over and over again to care for the people, right? Um, the kings uh, before the exile failed. The priestly leadership after the exile failed to care for the people that God had given them to lead and protect. So you have Israel's prophets, uh, and they condemn the wicked leadership of the people. Um, and they describe the catastrophic and harmful way that the leadership impacted the people. Uh, and you find this in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Ezekiel. And I want to read this to you. I know we're in the New Testament, uh, but I've got some Old Testament passage I want to read to you. You can stay in John. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 34. Uh, and I'm going to start in the middle of verse 2. Uh, but I want you to hear how Ezekiel is describing the wicked shepherds of Israel in the Old Testament. And think about um, how Jesus was describing, especially the hired hand in John 10. Ezekiel says, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the strayed, you have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and scattered they became food for all the wild animals. And so Ezekiel saying, you existed as shepherds, but there really was no shepherd protecting and caring for the sheep, and the result of that was they're scattered and they're destroyed by wild animals. And so in John 10, the hired hand is there, he's supposed to protect the sheep, but there's, he's not a shepherd, and that leads to their harm. Later in Ezekiel, in uh, 34, 15, God then promises, uh, since you have failed, I'm going to intervene. I, will, I myself will be the shepherd of, of my sheep. And finally, in Ezekiel, and this happens in the other prophets too, um, here it is. The hope and expectation of a future Davidic king sent by God who's going to rule with a true shepherd's care. Everybody else failed. He's going to send one who will succeed. I will set up over them, this is verses 23 through 24, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. So, when Jesus comes in John 10, and he describes himself as good shepherd, he's making some really bold claims, right? Uh, he's like God in Psalm 23. Uh, he um, is the ideal shepherd who never abandons. He's the model of perfection um, in this role as shepherd. He knows and cares for his sheep. 
Uh, he fulfills the role without fail. Um, he's in contrast to any of the previous leaders of Israel, any of the current leadership of the people. He shepherds in unity with the Father, a unity of power and authority, a unity of operation, a unity of intention. Um, this is not an innocuous, um, nice, pretty little metaphor. Um, it is a claim of, of power and authority. So in light of this context, then, uh, what does this passage teach us? Um, well, a lot. Uh, if I had my way, we'd stay here for uh, like a block class, three hours. Um, but Luis and Jeremy won't let me do that. Uh, they, they, said, they said 20 minutes. So I've only got a, a few more minutes with you. Um, there are multiple themes we could explore. We could talk about the, the Good Shepherd's care and how he knows his sheep intimately. We could talk about the inclusion of the Gentiles that's implied here, right, under the one flock passage. We could talk about um, how um, he hints at resurrection, his authoritative actions, and his work at, at the Father's command. But what I want us to focus on is verses 11 through 13 and the contrast between the Good Shepherd and the hired worker. Um, and so it starts in verse 11 with this phrase, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Remember I told you that's when there's like a green flag like wang waving around because that one's repeated so many times. Um, and this phrase um, is communicating to us the willingness. He lays down his life. It's a willing action of the shepherd um, to sacrifice in order to protect his sheep from danger. And this is because of his identity, right? There's this contrast. The shepherd, because of who he is, has a relationship with the sheep, and that impacts his actions. Uh, one commentator that I read was describing the hired hand as someone who is controlled by his deep self-interest. Um, and so, and this happened especially when he was faced with the danger of the wolf. And so, uh, the hired hand, there's no attachment to the sheep. There's no true relationship to the sheep. And so, he's going to quickly abandon them when they need the protection the most. Um, he's not really truly invested in their well-being. What he's invested in is his wages, right? He's there for um, his money and his wages and his self-protection. So he does what he needs to protect himself from the wolf and leaves the sheep unprotected and vulnerable so that they are harmed, not, not just harmed, slaughtered by the wolf. Um, and this way, the hired hand reminds us, in the Old Testament context we just read, of the wicked leaders that Ezekiel described, right? Ezekiel was describing leaders of Israel who fed and clothed themselves, and they were fine, while the people that they were in charge of were hungry and bruised and broken and sick. The sheep are not safe with this kind of shepherd, and people are not safe with this kind of leadership. Leaders who are unattached and uncaring and unwilling to sacrifice their needs 
because their self, their self-interest, uh, what's in it for them, is their only concern. But the good shepherd is the antithesis of the hired worker. His actions towards the sheep are rooted in his love and care for the sheep because they belong to him. His relationship to them, we see it in verse 12, we see it in verse 14, means that he will never abandon them to dangerous threats, um, no matter the danger. And so if the hired hands reminds us of the leaders in Ezekiel 34, uh, the good shepherd, Jesus, reminds us of God in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, uh, not abandoned. Uh, God is with us in the Old Testament. Jesus is with us uh, in John chapter 10. Uh, likewise, and additionally, we haven't uh, talked about this much in this passage, but it also communicates that because of Jesus' unity with the Father um, and because of his authority, no one can come and take the sheep away. So not only he won't abandon them, but there is no power that can come and take the sheep away from him. The sheep are safe with the good shepherd. Uh, his people, the ones who are his own, are protected and provided for with Jesus. He cares, he knows, we are his. He is good and he can be trusted. So, uh, if we move now into when did John write this gospel? Uh, we know that the evidence shows us that John's gospel and his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, were written about the year 90, and most of the evidence points us to him being in Ephesus when he wrote this. And so his audience, when he, they read the gospel and they read his letters, they're several decades removed from this conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus, but they are familiar still with the threat of wicked shepherds and the harm that they can bring. So in Ephesus, of course, they are still experiencing persecution from unbelieving Jewish groups that might harm them, certainly from the Gentile and Roman authorities in Ephesus that might harm them, uh, but closer to home for them is internal conflicts in the church that reflect leadership gone awry uh, already in the year 90. If you um, look at Acts, uh, chapter 20, 28 through 30, um, you can look it up if you want to, but I'll just summarize it for you. Uh, Paul had, when he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, so Ephesus, the same city, he uses language very similar to John 10, and he's telling the elders that they need to shepherd the flock um, and guard against wolves. See the similarity in language here? But the shocking thing is, is where the wolves are going to come from. Paul says the wolves are going to come from among you. 
uh, not just among the church, but from among the elders. Um, and so leadership uh, gone awry that, that can harm. Uh, if you look in Jude, I know it's a really short book, so you might miss it, but Jude is teaching, against, is, is, is fighting, actually, against false teachers, and he describes them as dangerous, and he describes them as greedy, and he says they are shepherding themselves. That sounds a lot like the shepherds in Ezekiel, um, and that sounds dangerous. They are caring about themselves and not about the people that they are supposed to be taking care of. And so then if we look at 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, John is also, in those letters, um, uh, fighting against false teachers. And in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, teachers have gone out from their church community. People have separated from the church community, and it looks like we're, we're pretty certain that some of those would have been leaders or elders in John's church. Um, and we talk a lot about those letters about the false teachers' Christology and how that's gone wrong, but it's pretty clear, too, that they are treating their former church members with hatred and disdain and just really harmful behavior. And so in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John does the same thing he does in the gospel. In response to this, he tells the people to remember who Jesus is. Remember his identity. He is from God, and he can be trusted. So, what about today? Um, we are bombarded with failure of leadership. Outside the church, um, but more devastatingly inside the church. And when it happens inside the church, the just avalanche of harm uh, that we see, that we experience ourselves, um, is devastating and heartbreaking. Especially if it's somebody you know, personally, but even if it's just somebody that you trusted um, and that you loved. And so, what do we do? Right? Um, I think that we can learn from John's testimony and remember that we belong to the Good Shepherd. Uh, he does not harm. He does not abandon. And he is like his father. He always protects and he always provides. Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, sometimes it's easy to believe uh, that you healed a blind man in the first century and you raised a dead man um, in the first century. And then it's harder to believe that you're our good shepherd now. Um, and so I just pray that we will be like the dad in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. And um, we just ask you, um, we believe, Lord, help us when, when we fail to believe. Help us strengthen our belief um, to know and remember that you are our good shepherd. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.